It is another Monday afternoon. Greg Richard here and Scott Sharp for Gardening Talkback on 2 FM. Scotty, how are you? I'm very, very well. It's uh, I've got heaps and heaps of stuff to talk about today. It looks like you brought a whole bag in today. I did, and I've got a list as well. Imagine that. That's This is very prepared. I this know. Is this is more prepared than you've ever been. <laughs> this is organisation. What's on the top of the list, Scotty? I thought we'd talk about prickly pears because a lovely fellow actually brought me in a proper prickly pear. Because remember last week I was saying I never tasted one before. so I wanted... That's right, because I was asking if you could eat cactuses. And... Yeah, so I want to have a go. I've actually found some uh, cactus recipes. They're very big in Texas, by the oh, sounds okay. of things. Yeah, so they grow on trees over there, okay, apparently. So yeah. Gardening and cooking today. We're going to do it all. I thought we'd talk about gall wasp. It's a problem at the moment. Uh, we'll go back over those water-wise rules about what you can hose at the moment. And a lawn fertiliser called Blade Runner. <laughs> of course. And we've got Keith. Uh, Keith, how can we help you today? Yeah, Scott, um... I pruned a nail orange tree, give it a fairly big severe haircut about six weeks ago, and it's shooting pretty well from the buds that were down on the bottom of the trunk, but it's coming away in three or four shoots together, and I was just wondering whether I should thin them out this year or wait until I see what, uh, what they shoot like and then prune them out next next winter. It, it might be helpful to, to sort of stop and wait now since you've given it such a heavy prune. Uh, but that said, Keith, if those branches are starting to you know grow and curl over each other, that's going to be a site for uh, you know disease or pest to start to get into your plant again. Yeah, so yeah. you just have to keep your eye on that. So it's, it's one of those suck it and see sort of situations where, you know, you might just let it, you know, go. But if it starts to, you know, cross over and become a problem, that's when you're going to give it a prune uh, at that point, just to try and give that nice cup shape again to the plant. Because you always want, you when you're pruning something, you want to try and keep it, you know, nice and open like a bowl or a cup so that it's growing out evenly. There's plenty of light yeah. coming down through the inside of the plant to uh, to keep on, you know, getting getting that uh, nutrient in there from the sunlight. And, uh, yeah, and then the fruit and things, you know, they've got somewhere to hang out. It, it, it all works quite well if you get that really nice bowl or cup shape when you're pruning the plant out. So make sure that nothing's uh, going to cross over on you. All right. And on uh, all the leaf that was left there, I've noticed that it's starting to get leaf curl. So is that white oil? White oil will protect against that. So uh, leaf curl can come from, uh, it's usually uh, a leaf miner that gets in there. It starts up when it gets warmer. It's usually worse once we get into uh, January and February. That's when it gets quite bad. A little moth comes along, lays its eggs. The larva get in between the membranes of the leaf and do a lot of damage. Uh, I've also noticed a fellow today uh, brought in a really bad case of gall wasp, and I was going to talk about it uh, later on today, uh, but we might as well have a quick chat about it now. And gall wasp is when... you the branch, this little wasp comes along and it lays its uh, eggs inside the, uh, actually inside the branch and the plant sort of creates this knobbly thing around it, um, like a big callus almost to try and protect itself uh, from the larvae that are actually inside there and then eventually they hatch and the, and the wasp comes out. So if you've got gall wasp on your plant, you probably won't because you've given it a good old prune, the only way to get rid of the gall wasp is to actually prune that off and then get rid of it into the uh, the garbage or uh, inside a plastic bag and into the green waste. Uh, so there's no real way to get rid of gall wasp if it's been on your plant and it's uh, uh, you can't spray for it. You just have to prune it out and get rid of it that way. That's yeah. different to what you've got, mate, but uh, just for other people out there who might be noticing that at no, the moment, I, it's I quite bad. I do have a bit of gall wasp, but 
Yeah, that, that's correct, to, to prune it out, uh, or yeah, I guess you can burn it if you want to, or usually just people wrap it up in the plastic bag and, and get rid of it that way. Yep. Okay, so yeah, with your pruning, just make sure you've got a nice bowl shape and uh, keep your eye on it. Don't let it uh, you know, get old and woody and you know, crossed over itself. That's when you start having problems. No, well, it hadn't, hadn't been pruned for quite a few years, and they were getting a bit too high for me to start climbing up to get top fruit. Well, that, that's the problem, isn't it? People often let their citrus fruit get, you know, really, really tall. And, of course, the flowers and fruit only come on the new growth. So once it's, uh, you know, up there and it's high, the only thing that happens is it tends to drop to the ground, the fruit fly come in, and you just got problems all over. And, you know, if you keep your citrus trees, you know, just a little bit overhead height, usually that's, you know, you get heaps of fruit off that, and that's uh, high enough that you can uh, treat it for pest and disease. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay, okay cheers. Thanks, Scott. Keith. Thanks very much, Keith. It is Gardening Talk back on the 2 URF, man. But we've got Helen from Stockton. Helen, how can we help you? Hello, Scott. Um, the house next door to me have two, and I'm going to use like the neighbourhood term, as an elephant foot plant. Yes. Yes. They're going to uh, dispose of them. Can they be cut off and replanted? Yes. Yeah, so now, when you're saying, I'm thinking elephant's ears, so a big... No, 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 no. no. It's got a big... The, the base of the plant looks like an elephant's foot. I thought that was the terminology they called them. Right. They grow, grow the great big base, very skinny trunk, span out at the top. No, you've, you've got me there. You've got me with that oh, one. Well, I'll have to Google it and find out what they're properly called. Okay, I'll, I'll, do, I'll go to uh, Dr. Google as well, and we'll try and work that out, and I'll talk about it as soon as I've found out about it. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're that's talking right, about there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, you know, I will. That's going to be the trouble. As soon as I see it, I'll go, oh, yeah, that's what yeah, uh, yeah. Helen was talking about. And okay. I'll think, aren't I stupid? We'll see how we go together. <laughs> okay, thank you, Scott. Bye. Okay, thanks, Helen. Now, we were talking ponytail plants before, Scotty, and Mitch from Taralbus might have an answer for us. Yes, look, no sour grapes here, Mitch. I, I'd never heard of it before, but you know what the elephant's foot is, don't you, mate? Well, I've got, I've got an idea. I'm standing here looking at one, and we, we call it a ponytail plant. Oh, you know, I have never, ever heard it called an elephant's foot, but as soon as you think about it, I guess they sort of do, don't they? I mean, there's they, not a, they do, yeah. There's not a trunk or a big elephant or anything. I think there is a trunk attached, actually, isn't there? Oh, God, I'm stupid, aren't I? I mean, what am I doing here? Yeah, it's Monday, yep. yep. <laughs> I was, I was going to, when, when the young lass asked me what my name was, I was going to say, it's Dr. Google here, <laughs> you know? No, just we've we've got a couple of them in the yard, and I and as soon as she described it, that's the only thing I could think that it may be. Now, from memory, uh, Helen wanted to know if you could cut it off and sort of take that cutting and stick it back in the ground. But I don't think uh, ponytails work that way. You can do it the other way around, where you can actually cut them off and they'll re-sprout from the bulb or from the trunk. Uh, yep. They'll do it that way. But I'd I'd be surprised if you know you can always give it a try and see what happens. Uh, well, I nearly killed a couple with a backhoe. Oh and, right. Um, yeah, my wife wasn't really impressed, but um, but they've come back. They're fine. Yeah, and look, I guess yuccas, you know, you can cut them as well with that, that woody trunk and stick them in the ground. So, you know, if they're just going to toss them away. If Helen in Stockton is still listening to us, she might be just disgusted that I didn't know what the answer was and she's just shut off. Uh, that, uh, you know, you can if they're going to throw it away, well, you might as well cut them and stick them in the ground and see what happens. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, and I, as we, I Googled, I did actually Google ponytail palms or the elephant's foot after that, and I found out that they actually come from uh, Veracruz in eastern Mexico. Oh. Yeah, and they've got them down there, uh, and they're some of them are about 350 years old, so they're very, very old. They're actually registered plants in Mexico because they are almost a national treasure down there. We all learn something new every day. We do, don't we? Yeah. Yep. Jeez, thanks very much, okay. Mate, Mitch. Okay. Appreciate right, it, Mitch. Thank Enjoy. you. Cheers. All right, this is Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. We've got Anne, and she's got some issues with her geraniums. 
How yes, can we, hello. Yes, how can we help you with your geraniums, Anne? Uh, yes, please. Uh, they've got like a little round brown spot underneath the leaf. It's rust. No, no, it, no. Greg's, Greg's laughing at me here. He thinks I'm being an idiot, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. It's, it's rust. It's yeah, and plants, yeah, plants do get rust. It's actually a fungal disease that they get. Yeah. Where the WD forty comes into play? No, the WD forty is not going to work on this one, unfortunately. No, I wouldn't. No, what happens is the leaf usually withers up and falls off. That yeah, that's that's what's happening. So you need to get a fungicide, yeah. and usually a copper spray like copper oxychloride or Mancozeb Plus will, yeah. uh, you know, keep it under control. The other thing you need to do is actually get some in the watering can as well and drench the yeah. soil around the plant because those fungal spores are sort of okay. bouncing up from the from yeah. the uh, soil when it rains or when you're watering and that's how they're getting and you know they're airborne as well so as soon as the you know just sort of, yeah. they get bounced up and they they attach yeah. to the underside of the leaf and off they go yeah. so you need to try they're and on, they're on the underside they're not on the top yeah and and also too the, sometimes the flowers have have been chewed. I don't know whether I've got another disease as well. Yeah, the, and the rust the rust isn't going to do that. I think if you've got no. an, an Alpha Romeo or something like that, then um, uh, um, then the rust will chew rust. up that. But uh, usually you've yeah. got it with geraniums. You might have actually a little weevil, a little uh, yeah. you know grub that's actually inside the bud. So when yeah. it opens up, then that'll come yeah. out with holes yeah. sort of already pre yeah. uh, pre made in there. Like there's a hole yeah. punch. So you need to use yeah. a, a uh, you know probably carbaryl to get rid of that and spray that oh. around. Yeah. Good heavens. You no, know, you've, got, you've got, got a couple of things there on your shopping list. Yes, and I've got some beautiful geraniums. They're all different ones. Yes, yeah. I've sort of made a habit of collecting them. Oh, look, they're, but, su- and they're, also, they're such sorry. a tough plant. They're such a tough plant yeah. in, in the sun, and you get, you know, beautiful yeah. colour. They're great for hanging baskets as well. Cause they, often, they love lots of water. They so, do, but they'll also yeah. handle being extremely dry as well. Yes, yeah. yes. And also, thank you, just quickly, I planted two packets of... Um, uh, what are they? Petunias. Yes. Um, about three weeks ago, and yes. they haven't come up. Oh, okay. Well, usually, yeah, the germination time would probably be, you know, a little bit over seven days. You know, seven days to two weeks for for those. Yes. Uh, so they should have. They probably should, they should have, have. They should have, you know, sort of reared their ugly heads by now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, sometimes you get dud packets of seeds. It's not unusual. Yeah. So yeah, just old. Yeah, yeah, old or, uh, you know, it can just be that there was too much rain or, you know, that they were too wet and they can actually rot away in there under the soil. So always make sure yeah. you're using a good seed-raising mix when you're uh, getting seed, especially tiny oh. little seeds like petunia seeds. Yes, they are tiny. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're... All right, thank you. All. Okay. Thank you very much. That's all right. Thank you, Anne. Okay, bye. It is Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. We've got Margaret from Swansea. Now, I'm not quite sure what Margaret's problem is because I can't pronounce it. So, Scotty, I'm going to give you a go. Oh, well, I'm just going to ask Margaret. How, Margaret, how can we help you? <laughs> um, look, I'm just wondering if you could help me. Yes. Um, I, I wanted to, was on Better Homes and Garden on Friday night. Oh, yes. And um, I uh, was just wanting to know if I could put it in a pot. I went to the nursery yesterday and the fella turned around at the nursery and said, no, they're not advisable to be put in a pot. And it's, um, I don't know how you pronounce it, S-E-R-R-U-R-I-A. Yes, yeah. And it's it's pretty and pink. Yeah, okay. So it's, uh, I, I guess it's like a protea, actually. They they come yes, from South yes. Africa. It's in that, it's in that, yes, it's yeah. in that um, field of 
Yes. Yeah, definitely. And they're sort of, you know, a little bit related to, uh, you know, uh, Waratahs and, and things here in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So that so uh, you can actually grow them in a pot if you want to. You have to make sure you use a specific potting mix, though. Uh, now, I'm not exactly sure which variety of you've got. There's taller growing ones. There's small growing ones, and the dwarf ones would actually do quite well in a pot. Uh, you need to put get a good native mix though, and just be careful that whenever you fertilise it, you only fertilise them with a native fertiliser because they're you know they're closely related to ours. They're actually uh, you know excellent at getting phosphorus out of the soil, so you can actually burn them quite easily if you using, uh, you know, a fertiliser that's not suitable for them. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, well, I went to a couple of the nurseries yesterday. They haven't got them in yet. You know, they haven't got them. Yes. But they can get them in. But he said they're a very hard, they're a very hard plant to grow. The only thing that would uh, sort of uh, wouldn't be so happy here in Newcastle is the is the humidity that we get later on in the year. That can be a little bit difficult for them. Uh, but generally, if you've got a, a you know a good uh, native mix or uh, and you're using the proper fertilisers, you can grow them. Uh, they can be a little bit touchy, and I think it's more or less down to the, the humidity that we get here. All right, well. Okay. Thank you th- very much. Thank you very much. Okay. It is Gardening Talk back on 2 and you are at FM 103.7. Now, Scott, it is kind of nearly lunchtime. So after the break, maybe a bit of chat about that prickly pear and... Yeah, definitely we'll talk about it because, uh, oh, when you read about it, it actually tastes, you know, sounds like it tastes quite good. <laughs> sounds like it tastes good. <laughs> yeah. Now, Scott... Prickly pears. I thought that was uh, thunder before you talking about the uh, the weather, but it's actually your stomach rumbling now, was, yeah, now, now that you're so hungry by hearing about this. I'm very interested to hear about these prickly pears. Okay, I've never so- had them before. Now, a very, very, very nice fellow called Neil Mead actually brought me in a proper prickly pear with a fruit actually coming on. I think it's fantastic that if I say mm. I've never tried something before, that someone will bring me something into own. That's very good. I've never driven a Ferrari before. Ever have I. So I'm hoping someone actually might bring me in a Ferrari. I've never flown to New York either. So okay, let's... <laughs> there's a whole lot of things we could uh, try out here and see if people will bring them in or give them to us because I've talked about them or we've Ooh. talked about them. But I was really interested about the prickly pear. Now, I, I just have to, I guess, uh, you know, put a caveat on all of this that uh, the prickly pear, the Opuntia stricta, uh, is actually classed... <laughs> As a uh, local weed, did you practice that? Yeah, I did practice that. It's actually uh, classed as a local weed here in Newcastle. Uh, so uh, it's uh, you can only have it if you can keep the growth contained. That means you can't actually just go and stick it in the ground. Oh, okay. uh, and we're not allowed to sell it. Uh, that oh. we can sell other forms of cactus and prickly pear, but we can't yeah. sell Opuntia stricta, which is the one where you get the best fruit off. Unfortunately, oh, that's a bit disappointing. Yeah. So the uh, it, you know it did become quite a problem here in Australia. It spread out everywhere and. And they had to bring in this fantastic moth, I think, called the Cactoblastus. <laughs> Sounds like something out of Star Wars, yeah, it does. doesn't it? Just... Yeah. But it, it eventually controlled it and, and it did quite a good job. And it didn't it wasn't like a rabbit or um you oh. know, or one of those things where they and brought then in went mental and Yeah, and then they brought in something else to control it and that went even more mental than the thing that they yeah. brought in. So no, they actually brought in uh, this thing called Cactoblastus. It did the job, it got the prickly pears under control. But in Texas, they just don't eat steak. Believe it or not, they actually eat other stuff down there. They eat prickly pears. Now, the pad of them, the big flat leafy thing, is actually called the nopal. And the fruit is called the tuna. Those crazy Mexicans. You've got to give it to them, don't they? The tuna, yeah. Maybe because they're in the desert and they really just want to eat fish all the time. That could be it. That could be it. So they actually just call the fruit of something the tuna. Or is that the more fleshy part? 
I'm I think actually that, being quite sensible. Okay, there. you are actually. <laughs> that, that could be the case. I don't know what uh, cats do in Mexico. Who knows what they eat? Well, they get the raw end of the stick, I think. Yeah, they, they might be eating prickly pears as well. Imagine their poor little pink tongues. That wouldn't be yeah. very you know, very nice. So, look, the, the flowers, they're really, really beautiful. We've got some at, on this one at work. They're a, sort of a fuchsia uh, pink. They're really, really quite beautiful. Uh, so these things, the the nopal and the tuna, they contain heaps of vitamin C. And in Mexico, they actually use them to help diabetes as well. So, oh, very so really, really interesting. Uh, the, so it's like a superfood almost. It sort of is like a superfood with spines on it. So to actually to actually get rid of those spines, you have to wear really good protective gloves or tongs, cut that pad away from the plant. And uh, then you have to scrape off the spines with a sharp knife. And then there's a slippery substance that might ooze from the cut edge of the pad. You have to get rid of that as well. I know it's sounding pretty difficult. It's getting a bit graphic here. Then you have to use a scrubbing pad to remove the tiny little hair-like spines that you didn't get rid of in the first place. Uh, But after that, it all starts to get pretty good. If you cook it like a vegetable, um, it actually tastes apparently a bit like a lemony green bean. Oh, okay. So that actually sounds pretty good. I thought you were going to say chicken, but okay. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Mythbusters have done that, and uh, it's not true. Uh, but <laughs> it tastes like a lemony green bean, and the um, little um, fruit, the little, they taste you know, really sort of rich and nice. You, know, you just eat those raw. Yeah, oh. yeah. So it's all it's all very interesting. Uh, yes, and the, you can actually do a prickly pear lemonade as well if you want to. There's recipes all over the net. The recipes, gorgeous. There's so many options you can do. There are, yeah, and it looks you know quite easy to do. Very good. It yeah. is gardening talk back on two and RFM talking all things of prickly pear at the moment. We've got Kate from Lambton, and she's trying to work out how you can grow a lily of the valley. Hi. Hey, Kate. So you want to try and grow lily of the valley? Well, I bought a small plant mm-hmm. um, oh, a couple of months ago, maybe, and I put it into a pot. Yeah. And I put it on my kitchen windowsill, which gets morning sun. Yeah. Um, it hasn't done anything. Right. It might, just, it might just be the position that you've got it in in that case. Where does it belong then? It would prefer to probably be... Uh, you know, in, in outdoor environment rather than sort of in that, you know, in the still air of indoors. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be better if it's doing outside. Okay. Yep, yep. What aspect? Uh, in a sort of a semi-shady, uh, you know, so you're only getting the morning sun with it, that's going to be fine for it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what about watering? Uh, so watering uh, once, oh, you know, with the lily of the valley, probably, you know, three times a week, not over-watering it. Don't over-water. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And feeding? Uh, feeding. So you with the Lily of the Valley, you want it to flower as well, obviously. So you get those beautiful white little oh, sort yes. of bell-shaped flowers. So use one that's high in potassium to try and, uh, you know, get the flowering coming out on it as well. Okay. And that's, yeah, okay. Is Flourish any good for that? Flourish is excellent. Uh, it's got uh, a lot of potash in it, so it will work very, very well for you. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is I have a cyclamen with yellowing leaves. Yes. What's wrong with it? It's... Cyclamen really just a winter plant. So as soon as it starts to get warmer, it will, you know, it will. And I, and I say this, you know, especially, I guess with a COVID on it as well, because I've had one go right through for about 18 months. But generally, once you get to summer, they want to die back to the corm again, back to the bulb, I guess you'd call it, is the easy yeah. way to look at it. So if it is yellowing off, it's not unusual. Uh, let it do so if you need to. And you just put it back into, you know, you can stick it under the house or you can put it under some trees. Uh, and just leave it in the pot and it should come back for you next year once it starts to cool down again. I've removed the um, yellow leaves, yes. which are sort of on the outside down low, 
it's in a pot. Yes. Um, and it did really well um, where I had it on my kitchen windowsill, sort of in the sun. Yes. But um, during the winter was good. But And it still has a couple of flowers and some green leaves, but I was concerned about the yellowing leaves and wonder if that's just dying off for the summer. It is. Look, you really have been living on borrowed time with it and you've done you've done pretty well to get it this far. I've um, enjoyed it very much. Oh, yeah. And uh, and you've been, it sounds like you've been looking after it, um, you know, really well as to, to keep it going this long. But if it does start to die down, don't, don't be concerned about it. The other thing they don't like, and as soon as we get to January, February, March, they hate the humidity. And oh. if it's still going by then, you know, chances are it's, it's, it's going to give up the ghost and die back down to its core during those humid conditions as well. They don't like a lot of water, do they? They they, they will handle the water, but they don't like, uh, you know, sort of sitting in water in a saucer. Um, oh. that, that will really wreck them up. At work, what we let them do is, because we're sort of standing there watching them all the time, uh, we can water them and almost start to let them droop a bit. Then we water them again. So we're not just constantly watering them and keeping them wet. But I guess that's because we've got the luxury of being there with them uh, all day. And the other thing, of course, with the cyclamen is that they like the cold air. Uh, and that's why they don't like our summers here, because it just gets too hot for them. And and they love being put outside at night. And the old saying is you put them outside at night with the cat. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably not good for native animals, uh, but uh, the cyclamen aren't going to hurt native animals. Yeah, so. well, our cat doesn't go outside <laughs> yeah. at night. Okay. Yeah, well, he does and he doesn't. Yeah, I know. Sometimes they just escape, don't they? Yeah. Okay, well, thanks very much for that. Thank you. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. All right, we've got Susan from the Hill, and she's interested in white butterflies. Yes, I have some tomato plants in pots on a balcony. Yes. Um, I'm a few floors up, but there's a lot of white butterflies flying around, and I wonder if I should use that tomato dust. Yes, you, you should, because what those white little butterflies will do, even though they're sort of, you know, getting up a little bit higher, they're like one of those, uh, you know, spy planes that flew over Russia. I went to see that movie the other night. Yeah, It's sort of, you know, up at 70,000 feet, those white bu- butterflies up on your up in oh, your really? apartment. Uh, what you need, you do need to dust because they're hanging around because they want to lay their eggs. And when they lay their eggs, they're going to, you know, a caterpillar is going to launch out and it's going to start eating your tomatoes away. So, yeah, you do need to, uh, to dust for those just to try and keep the caterpillar pillar it, it'll right. it'll kill you know it'll keep the uh, the the uh, the moth away but as the caterpillar hatches out and it's into the dust that will kill that as well okay and what about fruit fly am i likely to get that up here too yes you will unfortunately little fruit flies oh. they can get up high as well um they're like little super hang gliders they'll they'll okay. buzz around uh it might be a little bit you know more unlikely because you're you know in a segregated area often fruit fly will be one of those uh you know insects that if there's a garden next door uh, you know, with citrus trees and tomatoes, then they'll just move next door to yours. But if you're, you know, a little bit segregated, you might keep them away. But for some reason, they have a nose and they can smell out, uh, you know, fruit that they can lay their eggs in, you know, almost anywhere. So you will probably have to treat for fruit fly as well by using, oh, okay. yeah, dusting and spraying and uh, if, if, uh, traps. So are it's excellent. now the time because I've got about eight tomatoes on each plant. Definitely the time now. Uh, it used to be that it wasn't until the tomato started to change colour that you'd see fruit fly. But, uh, you know, even now people are bringing in, you know, quite hard green, green fruit and the fruit fly have been into that as well. So as soon as you see that uh, little fruit starting to form, it's the time to start spraying spraying and trapping to keep the fruit fly under control. Right. Thank you very much. And would that explain why I had dust mite on my rose? 
No, that's go, just going to be spider mice is something completely different. Little wind-borne insects that get carried around and they land somewhere and they go, ha ha, this is a nice, uh, you know, tasty meal for us. And off they go. They start sucking away at the sap of your rose and um, it just does a lot of damage. So that's not your fault. These insects just get carried around by the wind. I've sprayed and it's come good again. So yep. that's fine. So every now and again, just spray preventatively just in case they, they you know, they are borne around by the wind and they come back. Right. Okay. okay. Thank, Thank you very, you much. very Thanks, much. Thanks, Susan. Not a problem. All right, Chidge, Susan. It is Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM 103.7. We've got Brian, who's got some issues with lily pillies and magnolias. Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, two fairly large lily pillies, one in the front backyard, and they've got, um, like, the, the leaves are starting to discolour a bit, and they've got, like, pimples all over the leaves. Yes, yeah. Uh, so lily pillies do get those little pimples. Uh, they're actually psyllids, and they're a little, again, a little windborne insect that gets carried around. They land on the underside of the the leaf of your lily pillies, and they go, "Oh, fantastic! These are really tasty." And what psyllids do is that they usually only latch onto the the nice new soft growth. Uh, once the growth hardens up, you probably notice that the the psyllids aren't quite as bad on on those. So what you need to do is when you if you've pruned. Uh, or if it's rained and, you, and or it's, you know the warmer months are coming on, you know there's going to be a flush of new growth on your lily pilly. That's the time to get out and spray preventatively to try and keep it under control. What will I spray it with? Yeah, so you can use a couple of things. You can use insect and mite killer. Uh, that'll keep it under control. Uh, it'll also kill it as well if you've got it uh, there. But the, if it's really, really badly deformed, the best thing to do is prune it off. Uh, you can also use eco oil as well. And there's a little ready-to-use uh, called Max Guard you can use as well to get uh, psyllids under control. Uh, and also the leaves have got like a, a dark sort of a scaly, sort of you can rub it with your finger and right. get it off. So it's, they sound like pretty unhappy plants. So yeah. what you've also got there is sooty mould. Now that comes hand in hand with scale. Uh, scale are little insects that latch on. They're just like little bumps, I guess, on the, you know, up and down the yeah. trunk or under the underside of the leaf of the plant. Yep. And uh, they're sucking the sap out of the leaf. And what happens, you start to get this vicious cycle where the plants are a little bit unhappy. The ants come to feed up from the residue from the scale and they bring the sooty mould spores up from the ground. And that's when you get the black. And all of a sudden you're in this, you know, this vicious circle it's like you've been you know set upon by the baron von richthof and the red baron yeah, well, and you know you're spiraling down to the ground and and that's what the plants that's what's happening to the plant they're just starting to get new growth on them now and i was wanting to prune them mm. so what can i get to to you know attack both Problem. Yeah, so you, you need to use anti-scale to get rid of the scale. It's got an insecticide and a white ore component to uh, get into yeah, yeah. to get into the, the shell of the scale. And then you need to use uh, copperoxychloride, which gets rid of that uh, that sooty mould because they're two separate things. You just can't treat it with one thing, unfortunately. Okay. And, and then, unfortunately, to get rid of your psyllids, you need to either use your uh, eco-oil or the insect and mite killer as well. So, unfortunately, you've got a bit of a shopping list as well there. It's a bit like the yeah. Neo Neapolitan ice cream, isn't it? You've got, you know, you've got to go and get three things, yeah. uh, unfortunately, to kill that one thing on your uh, on your plant. So should I I'll prune it back first and, Look, and then you, spray it? Yeah, you might as well. And then sp you can spray it then, uh, you know, preventatively uh, to get rid of the psyllid. And you can also spray it once you see that flush of new growth come out as well. Okay. And one more, the magnolia, it's the silly name they call it, port wine magnolia. Yes. Yep. Can I, um, will that take a good 
a good cutback? They will take a good cutback. Now, the only thing I'd say about Port, Port Wine Magnolia is we're out at a lovely, lovely uh, customers of ours out at Charlestown the other day. And uh, we pruned her Port Wine Magnolia back a couple of years ago for her. And with things being things with her, you know, they had a bit of uh, bad luck and some ill health in the family. And uh, we didn't get back to it last year. And what had actually happened... It's the port wine magnolia had shot straight up in the air. So they can get these funny water shoots. And what it really needed to happen was then some, you know, once those shoots had come up, some more pruning to happen to it then to get it to spread out in a much nicer shape. So when you're doing it, Brian, just make sure that, you know, you sort of revisit the plant in a couple of months' time just to give it a bit more of a reshape. So you just don't get these, you know, these shoots just going straight up into the sky because that that's what had happened to this customer's port wine magnolia. So they're uh, fairly hardy, are Oh, they? yeah, really hardy. We'd given it a good cut back you know a couple of years ago but it had just gone straight up for the sky and it had needed you know that little bit of extra pruning during the year just to give yeah. it a better shape so make sure okay. you do that if you're going to so give can it i do it now or is it too hot no do, do it now don't be worried about that yeah okay okay thank you okay thank you brian bye now we've got joy from Madawi, and she's got a well, quite an interesting question about deformed flowers growing on orchids how can we help you with them joy hello how are you doing yeah pretty well thanks for taking my call Okay, um, my uh, onsids and soft canes, they're okay, they flower okay, but with the anseps, they come out like they start off with a sheath and then the, the flower starts to come out from that. And as it's coming out, like they're slightly bent over and like as if they're scrunched up and they don't open properly, a lot of the buds actually fall off. So I just wondered if you know what the issue is there and I was listening to that other lady saying about the geraniums getting holes in that in them well that can happen sometimes with my orchids as well and I was blaming snails so I was putting a pallet or two down into exactly where the flower was but that doesn't seem to be eliminating the problem so am I doing something that's not perhaps right like I haven't had this issue with them before um, with the deformity with the flowers so, so not not speaking specifically about orchids, a lot of uh, plants can, and roses can get this as well, geraniums, they'll actually get a little bud weevil in there. So a moth or has come yes. along and laid its egg and specifically it will just start to burrow down through the the bud of, of the plant. And when it opens up, it you know all the nutrient, you know the, the those channels have been sort of broken by this damage that's been done inside the bud, yes. and that can create that sort of deformity as well. Uh, okay. That could be the problem that's happening with your orchids. So, uh, sorry, Ned, uh, at the start, did you say they're cymbidiums? That... No, um, anseps. Right, okay. So uh, it's going to be difficult to spray them. Now, I always am concerned about spraying orchids, you know, with a, uh, with a harsh sort of chemical. Mm. Uh, you probably do need to use a product called Insect and Mite Killer, though. I'd only use it at a sort of a half strength just to try, you know, because you don't want to, um, you know, do, use something that's too strong on your orchids and actually do more damage. It might be worth just doing it on, you know, a test case on a couple of them as well uh, to, to make sure that all's going to be well. Okay. I was using a product called Folum. That, yes. But evident, I think it's a Yates product, but I do believe I've got a little bit left in a spray can and I only used to just put it on exactly where it needed to go. Yes, yes. Um, but I do believe that that product has now gone off the market. Yes, I believe so, unfortunately. And Folimat was fantastic because it worked it as uh, as a systemic spray and as a contact spray. So it worked sort of in, in both ways. So it, mm -hmm. it was a good product. If you can find anyone that's got some, you know, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, buy up a couple, of, a couple of um, packages. <laughs> so, but the other question I wondered, I heard you saying carbaryl, and I had used that um, yes. 
on my um, Alcorns and Staghorns in the past, mm. and that did a tremendous job. But I thought that that product also some years ago had gone off the market. No, no, Carbaryl is still available. Uh, it just depends, uh, you know, the retailer you go to. Uh, but we, we certainly still have it. Uh, um, so, yes, you can get still get Carbaryl on the so market. So it is available. Oh, that's excellent. Yes, so you can use that. It's more of a contact spray. So it might be that you just drench, you know, the orchids and try and keep the... Uh, uh, you know, Both when you start things. to see the buds uh, forming and keep them mm-hmm. keep them clean that way. And I have noticed, like I do get the odd, you know, they're a little tiny, like a cockroachy thing. Yes. Um, so, and that was what I'd use the foliage for, just like one quick burst. But there's also another little. It's almost like a butterfly, but it's not. It's quite small. It wouldn't be any bigger than a five cent piece at that. Some of them are green. Some of them are a whitey colour. And where they sit on the stems particularly on the onsids, as mm-hmm. they're forming, they leave like a white soot. Yeah, so using carbol or insect and mite killer will, you know, keep those under control as well. Oh, good yep. Okay, well, I'll give that a burst then. So it was insect and mite. Yes, that's it, yes. Okay, okay thank thanks. you very much for your time. Okay, thank you, Joy. Okay, bye. Cheers. Cheers, Joy. Gardening Talkback on 2 and FM. Scott Sharp, time is literally almost against us, but we've got a couple more things just want to run through before we call today. What should we talk about Water restrictions from last week. Oh, you, yeah, I know what you're trying. You're trying to block me off from talking about Blade talk, Runner, yeah. yeah, aren't you? Water restrictions. Yes, uh, uh, you can uh, 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. at night. Not allowed to water your lawn, hose your garden, irrigate, or use a sprinkler. However, if you have got a new lawn or new plantings, uh, that's even seedlings, yep. the water board will take a common sense approach to that so if you've got a you know new plants you've just put in obviously they're not going to let them die so you can water those at that time i still don't understand you're allowed to wash your car fill your pool do all these (laughs) other sort of wonderful things any time of the day but you're not allowed to water your plants but it's great to hear that they're taking a common sense approach about that they're not going to come down sensible they're not going to come down and sort of jackboot you um because you're keep trying to keep your plants alive that's fantastic thank you you. thank you water board (laughs) no worries blade runner do you want to do Oh, it? okay. So... Uh, You've got 30 seconds. I've got 30 seconds. That's all you're going to give me. And I'm using... Here we go. The star that burns twice as bright burns half as long. A fantastic quote from a movie called Blade Runner. And now there's actually a lawn fertiliser named oh, after really? the movie. <laughs> you are an absolute paradise. It is a fantastic product, though. Uh, it's the people that make sudden impact uh, and bounce back. So fantastic for your lawns. A really great product. A fantastic movie. We could talk about it next week if you want to, Greg. I'd love to, Scott. But sadly, we're out of time. Oh. (laughs) Thanks very much, Scott Sharp. I'll see you again next Monday. Cheers.